time is now, the time is here. Now's the time for a bite of cheer. A tasty light where the price is right. Well, look at here, you'll dig this sight. The moment's handy for a piece of candy. Just name your brand, they're all so grand. Hey, what do you think of a nice cool drink? Or a big box filled with a popcorn thrill. Let your taste buds meet with an ice cream treat. Refresh yourselves, it's time to eat. So come on, folks, let's join the band as we all head for the refreshment stand. Good afternoon, dear listeners. You are tuned in to CJSR FM 88.5, and this is Moving Radio. I'm your host, Christian Zip, and join me, please, won't you, for the next one half hour as we take a look at local, Canadian, and independent cinema. Well, if you tuned in a couple weeks ago or listened to the show earlier, you might have heard part one of my interview with Jermaine Lucier. That's right. He of SlashFilm.com uh, helped me out by giving us a little breakdown of the Sundance Film Festival that he went and saw. So uh, we've got more of that. It's part two of my interview with him about his Sundance breakdown. And as well, I also have, as promised, part two of my interview with the director of Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's The Fantastic Four. It's Marty Langford. And uh, we talk all about the original Fantastic Four film that was made live action by Roger Corman as a producer, but never saw the light of day. And uh, this is the untold story of it, clearly. And of course, there's excitement about the Fantastic Four because Josh Trank's cast just got announced for the brand new Fantastic Four reboot. But before you even think about that, you want to listen to this interview. And on top of that, I've got a little opportunity that you have to inform you about the Oscar-nominated live and animated shorts, which are coming actually to the big screen at the Landmark Cinemas downtown. That's right, the Edmonton International Film Festival is sponsoring the short uh, live and animated action films at Landmark Cinemas downtown. So you can see them and make an informed decision before you fill in your Oscar ballot this Oscar season. So, on this week's show, it's Jermaine Lucier as we talk about Sundance. It's Marty Langford as we talk about Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's The Fantastic Four. And we give you the details on the Oscar-nominated live and animated shorts at Landmark Cinemas. It's brought to you by the Edmonton International Film Festival. It's all that and a little bit more on this week's edition of Moving Radio. Joining me on the phone today is Jermaine Lucier. Uh, he is a writer for the website SlashFilm.com, where he does some fantastic work. And recently I picked up on him because he was uh, took a trip to Park City. He was uh, hanging out for the biggest film festival, I guess, so far of the year. It's Sundance, don't you know? Maybe um, one of the other great experiences of being at a festival like that, and like you said, there's lots of creative talent there that, that want to show the film, because it's the first time probably a lot of premieres there. What was one of the best Q&As where, you, where that kind of either changed your mind or how you felt about the filmmaker or really kind of put you over the top in how they connected with their audience? You know, it, it, it's funny because as uh, as a member of the press going to a festival, you don't go to as many public screenings. They do; they have a whole theater there just for press screenings. So they have four theaters running nonstop for the entire festival, showing all the movies uh, without the public that you can't go to. So I would say of the 28 movies I saw, almost half were seen in that environment, and that environment doesn't have Q&A because they just want you to sort of be detached from those people. I did see some Q&As, and I think that the moment that really stands out for me, that didn't change how I felt about the movie, but it was just a beautiful moment, was this documentary coming out called The, uh, the Battered Bastards of Baseball. 
and it's a documentary about uh, Kurt Russell's father, Bing Russell, who was also an actor, and in the 1970s created an independent minor league baseball team. And it's sort of like Major League meets, uh, I don't know, a coming-of-age story. And it's a really fun, interesting baseball movie-slash-story. During the Q&A, I was at the premiere of it, the first screening, Kurt Russell came down and teared up. Because, and that's incredible to see Snake Plissken tear up. He said that's the first time he'd heard his father talk in about 10 years since he passed away. And there was just this momentary crack. I sat in the audience with Kurt Russell at the time that he saw his father speak for the first time in 10 years. and So that was one of those really, really special moments. I'm currently a little bit jealous of you right now, so. (laughs) Okay, so let's go back to the thing about, um, you know, the segregation of journalists, I guess, at this point. You know, the experiences that I've had, at least, you know, maybe not going as as a hardcore member of the press, but going to those festivals, I really like being um, with an audience of other people, and it's a little bit, uh, you know, I found it really refreshing. It was great, and you run into a lot of people. But um, do you like that better, the the kind of the crowd experience, or are you like, no, there's a whole nother level? Level to it when we're all kind of doing the same thing and get to talk a little bit more in depth about the film. No, I prefer I prefer the public screenings. There's a buzz to it. Everybody there wants it to be something else. You also do get those Q and A's. You get the the people in there. You never know who's going to show up to those screenings. There was a screening that I was in that uh, of a film called The Young Ones that's directed by Jake Paltrow. Jake Paltrow, Gwyneth's brother, who also happens to be the godson of Steven Spielberg. So if I and he just happens to show up at the screening, you know, so that doesn't happen P and I screenings. Um, so yeah, I always prefer the public thing just because then there's other things going on. Like you could see the best movie at the festival at the press screening; it's not going to be the same. We're talking to writer for SlashFilm.com, Jermaine Lucier, and we're discussing his experience at the Sundance Film Festival. Sometimes I like the fact that uh, you were discussing things about everyone in town knowing about the festival, uh, kind of almost being there for it because there's not that many locals. They they might get scared probably is what I hear most times when it's a festival like that. What was maybe one of the best moments where you like you overheard something or you ran into somebody or something that was like an interesting moment uh, on top of like the whole experience of, of seeing the films? One moment that, that, that's coming to mind is I was on one of the free public buses that they have around Park City, and it was like Saturday night. There was a lot of traffic. Everybody was crammed into the bus. Uh, you know, most of the people were Sundance, but there was a lot of skiers because Park City is a ski town, touristy ski town, but still a ski town. One of these girls, who was probably like 20 years old, started screaming very loudly uh, about why is the bus so busy? It wasn't this busy last week. I hate you, Sundance people. And I was just sitting there just flabbergasted because I was like, this festival, put your town on the map. You know, it's like, it also brings in a lot of money. And if you were worried about crowds and you knew Sundance was happening, why did you come skiing on Saturday night? You know, uh, it was just, it was a, it was a funny, weird moment where the, uh, the cross-section of, non-film person with film person plus skiing all came together in this one weird, awkward exchange in the bus. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I had not a moment like that, but uh, in Austin last year at South by where there were some strange conversations coming back from the late night screenings in particular, where maybe there were a few beverages consumed. Sure. So I, I love drunk talk across town. It's good times. Mm-hmm. It's good times. <laughs> 
you know, you just uh, it just got released today. Uh, uh, although, of course, this is pre-recorded, so sorry, people. But all the awards got re- released today for uh, the festival itself. What was something that went in overlooking all the winners that you saw that was like, oh, you know, this is a film that was, you know, overlooked. Well, it's interesting because the the festival is broken down in a different section, so a lot of the movies that people saw or were raving about at the festival weren't even eligible. Like, my favorite movie probably of the whole festival, just on a pure fun scale, was The Raid 2, the Indonesian action film. But that was a premiere. That wasn't even part of it. As for the films that were uh, eligible, I was very happy that the film Whiplash uh, with Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons did so well. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Jesus one. Christ, I did not know they allowed retards into Schaefer. Am I to believe that you, that you cannot read tempo? Can you even read music? What the f*** is this? It's a half note. What is this? It said dotted 60. Say read this measure. Are you in a f***ing acapella group? Play the goddamn set! Stop! Now answer my question. Were you rushing or were you dragging? Answer me! Rushing. Dear God, is that a tear? Are you one of those single-tier people? Do I look like a double rainbow to you? I was kind of hoping for a film uh, by the name of uh, Infinitely Polar Bear to do well. It stars uh, Mark Ruffalo and Zoe Saldana, and it's about a uh, a bipolar man who can't really take care of himself, who's forced to take care of his two daughters when his wife gets a scholarship to go back to school. And it's a very interesting family drama with a lot of heart, funny, it's very Sundancey and it was one of my favorite movies there, and when it was nom- it was eligible for awards and got nothing, and I was kind of a little disappointed in that. But I think for the most part, the awards uh, got it right this year. Whiplash is pretty much, from top to bottom, a great movie, and it'll be one that general audiences will see and like, uh, not just film people. Uh, and you can read that review in Definitely Polar Bear from Jermaine on Slash Film dot com as well as many others uh it's there was at least like i think 12 13 reviews that you did uh so far from the festival itself and uh, that doesn't even include all your friends from slashfilm.com that went down there and did reviews as well so go check it out if you want to know what happened at sundance film festival this year what was the best thing that happened to you anywhere other than a movie theater at sundance jermaine oh man Um, keep it clean or yeah, dirty, exactly. it's up to you. <laughs> no, I mean, you honestly don't have time to do anything outside of a movie theater except sleep. I'll tell you, you know what it was? It was the day before, it was the, like two hours before I left, I actually got to sit down with some friends and have an actual meeting. And it sounds like barbaric, but things at Sundance are so crazy that you have to eat on the run, get meals, eat dinner at 10.30, 11 o'clock at night, or just be like, well, I guess I'll have a bagel in the morning. So to finally actually sit down and be like, well, it's 5 o'clock, my show comes at 7, my flight leaves at 9, I don't have any more movies to see, I can sit down here for an hour and talk with my friends and eat was probably one of the best moments. Plus, uh, the film uh, critic blogger community is sort of, uh, we're all really good friends and we're scattered across the country, so at a festival like that, you get to see all your friends and... uh, so you do, uh, so a moment like that dinner was really, really nice. 
Yeah, I know uh, I've had times where I've been on a steady diet of like Power Bar, uh, water, Mm -hmm. maybe free continental breakfast at the hotel if it's any good. Uh, And then all of a sudden it's 1030. You're like, I haven't eaten yet today. (laughs) Or you get... Yeah, I ate ate a lot of uh, uh, frozen chicken patties and salad, which I bought at the grocery store the first day because... That's yeah. one of the things you do. You get into town, you go to the grocery store, you fill up your fridge with easy, quick things to eat. Uh, and then when I would go home at night, I would put a chicken bed in and some salad and some, with a beer or some iced tea or something and just write until 2 o'clock in the morning, go to sleep, back up at 8. Yeah, it's it, it was probably uh, the weirdest diet week of my life. And you get so busy sometimes. Like Honestly, it was, I was like, where are these people? How are they getting drunk? Because I'm like, I've been seeing movies all day. I got no time. I got maybe 10 minutes for a beer. The only time I'd get one is if they had one at the theater that I could actually buy. Yeah, well, and, yeah, I mean, well, the thing is, that's another thing with Sundance, is that whereas I might go just to see movies, a lot of people just go to party. They don't see any movies, and they just spend all their time down on Main Street, which is about about a 15-minute walk from where where most of the theaters are. And they just go from party to party, and they can stay out all night, and then they can sleep in, and then just go back to party. And that's a whole other side of Sundance. And on a completely different uh, train of thought, uh, did the Mets have any shot at the NL East, or is David <laughs> Wright the only real bright spot in the team that really hasn't made a lot of like moves in the offseason, Jermaine? Well, we got, we got Curtis Granderson. Uh, Matt Harvey's out for the year. I do not think we have a chance. But, you know, the the great thing about baseball and the thing that keeps you going back when you're a Mets fan, you know, maybe the Yankees and the Red Sox are going to compete with their $200 million payrolls. But, you know, there's always a team that does a $40 million payroll, be it the A's, be it whoever, that that competes because baseball is a chemistry game. I felt like there were some glimpses last year of that sort of low-end chemistry uh, on the Mets. I think without Harvey this year, I don't think it's going to help. I don't think I think Granderson will be a bust. Most of the time, our big free agent signings are not helpful. I guarantee once he leaves the Mets in two or three years, he'll be great again. But something about playing on the Mets just drains the baseball skill out of people. Look at Carlos Beltran. Um, I know. So, so, we'll, so, I mean, I do not think, I wouldn't bet on him, but I would love to, to see it happen. And, uh, you yeah, know, I have my fingers crossed. Yeah, I feel your pain. I'm a long distance Mets fan. That's that's what I am. And you know, our hockey team really sucks right now. So <laughs> there's a whole lot yeah, of pain. I don't, you know, I don't follow hockey as much, even though I have the, uh, the French Canadian name. But I uh, I am looking forward to baseball season. I'm looking forward to the Super Bowl this week. And uh, it's nice. Sports and movies don't really crush too often. Uh, but if they do, and then we battered uh, Masters of Baseball, so that's one people should look out for. There we go. Our guest on the show today has been Jermaine Lucier. He is a writer for SlashFilm.com. You can check him out clearly at SlashFilm.com. Jermaine, how else can people get a hold of you? Tell them about the Twitter and all that stuff. Yeah, my Twitter is at Jermaine Lucier. That's G-E-R-M-A-I-N-L-U-F-S-I-E-R. And, yeah, I answer tweets there. I tweet a lot. You can read about the Mets. And posters and movie stuff, mostly Star Wars, and I'll be tweeting out some Best of Sundance stuff later this week. Um, and then, yeah, always on SlashHome.com. Uh, thank you so much, sir. It's my pleasure, Jermaine. Thank you for making the time. I know uh, insanely busy. You're probably just starting to catch up on the sleep and uh, getting some regular food in you. I do need to do that a little bit more. <laughs> 
All right, Jermaine, thanks so much for joining us in the program today. Uh, make sure you find this man on Twitter, JermaineLucierFilm.com. Hi, this is Linnea Quigley, and you're listening to Moving Radio. You can visit me at www.Linnea-Quigley.com. And be kind to animals, or I'll come get you with my chainsaw. We really wanted people to see this. How many movies did Roger Corman make and never release? One. Wait a minute. Why? We're going to let them take this movie away from us and not get anything out of it? we got to show people that we made a movie. That's how you get another job. All this effort and time and all, this, all the work that went into making that film and that pointless, meaningless. This film was never really intended to be a film. I said, oh yeah, you watch. I think this documentary is, is, I think it's about time. Hopefully, we might be like the last piece of this whole puzzle. The great untold, never seen version, the original Fantastic Four. Finally, after 20 years, this story is going to be told. Unfortunately, this version of the Fantastic Four really was doomed. <laughs> Joining me on the phone today is Marty Langford. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I was excited to bag this interview and, and that Marty got back to me so quickly because he is the director, writer, and editor of, uh, of something that has a bit of a soft spot in my heart. It's a documentary. It's called Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's Fantastic Four. That's right. Uh, if you're as hardcore as I am about these things, you know that a long time ago, Roger Corman made a Fantastic Four film that never saw the light of day, well, at least not legally. Um, it's looking to come to a festival near you, the documentary Doomed. And uh, you know what? If you go to doomedthemovie.com, you can also pre-order yourself a copy of the Blu-ray DVD as soon as it comes out. Our guest today is Marty Langford. Marty, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, it's really, it's really cool. I appreciate it. You know, going through the interview process is uh, is very long. Uh, you know, depending on what the subject is, it, it can be tedious at times, maybe. But I think probably in this case, you know, you're constantly digging and uh, finding out new things about the film. Plus, also maybe talking to some people that uh, maybe you thought you'd never have a chance to talk to before. Let us know a little bit about the moment that you had, where you either had to pinch yourself a little bit because of what had happened, or maybe who you were with when the, while you were doing interviews. Yeah, that was it. Was definitely Roger Corman. I mean, without doubt, we we interviewed him on a Thursday, and we didn't find out that we would have kind of full permission through you know his people by uh, on like the Tuesday before. Uh, so we were prepared for shooting him at some point during the week, but they didn't get the, they didn't get the final day and hour until like uh, you know two days before, and they were just. You know, it was so they were so accommodating. It was this terrific shoot, and I got to sit down and talk to Roger Corman, which was amazing. It's so cool, man, walking in his office and his, you know, the Tomb of Ligeria poster right behind him, uh, Academy Award nomination plaques on the walls and stuff. It's so cool. So I guess uh, in moments like that, do you think that it's good uh, to kind of be the fanboy that's sitting there and and doing the interviewing, or are you kind of like, oh damn man, I got to put my director's hat on? Yeah, you know it's so funny you say that because um, yeah, there was some of that. You know, I found myself um, asking a question or following up on a question uh, for you know just uh, like Oli uh, Sassoon, uh, who uh, Sassoon, excuse me, who directed it. Um, 
he started telling a story about um, the movie he made for Corman for Fantastic Four, which was a Blood Fist movie. Don the Dragon Wilson was in it. And uh, I started asking him. We spent like, you know, 10 minutes talking about Don the Dragon Wilson. And I'm like, I know I'm not going to use it in the docs, but I'm interested in it as a fanboy, you know? So it's funny you say that because that did happen. Probably one of the most difficult things to do as well is the editing process once you have this, you know, hours and hours and hours of footage. How do you kind of separate that for yourself? Do you like to edit with somebody else, or or is it easy enough for you to be able to separate those two uh, trains of thought and be like, I know what I have to be vicious and cut about? Yeah, I'd say no and no, I think, in that order. It's really, really hard to change that hat, you know? And I have preconceived notions about sequences or the succession of interviews that we'll use to influence one story that goes on to the other. And, and like, I remember shooting it and thinking, oh, I've got to have this moment, and then the moment's not there as an editor. It's not coming together. And you're like, huh, I, I thought for the last nine months that was going to cut together. And then I'm finally doing it. It's not. And I'm like, oh, i got to try something else. And it's hard with a narrative. You can give a script to an editor, you know, with, um, you know, with the shot list and with the uh, script supervisor's papers and just say, give me an edit in, you know, two weeks. But with a documentary, it's like, what if he misses something, man? I was there, you know? We're speaking on the phone today with Marty Langford. We're discussing his film, Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's Fantastic Four. What's been the reaction from fans of the book itself? And how do you negotiate having a really probably passionate audience that has loved these characters for a long time and has lived with them for years? I feel like we've got to have kind of, you know, uh, two audiences um, respond to us, you know, for us to really have a successful film. And that's it's normal people and then people like us, you know. And people like us, I knew the movie I was making for them, you know, because it's for me. That's the reason I'm making it. It's just because nobody else did. I've been waiting to hear the story. So I'm like, well, gosh, you know, I am a filmmaker. So I just decided to make the film. For me, when I first saw it, and this was a, a few years ago, and it was kind of one of those clearly ripped off the Internet discs, um, yeah. I, I already kind of knew what I was getting into, right? Like, I knew that I had prepared myself that it was not going to be, you know, top quality. But f- for me, at least, I felt like that there was there was a heart beating underneath all of this, um, you know, maybe low-budget production and low-fi, you know, effects. Uh, was that kind of what happened for you, or was part of it like, no, I'm kind of balancing between like what happens when a low-budget movie doesn't get made at all and when people put a lot of heart into it, and it's this big franchise all of a sudden that, you know, a major studio has produced, you know, now it's going to be soon two versions of it. Those movies wouldn't exist as uh, they are, um, you know, without Roger Corman's fantastic film, you know, because there was all kinds of things happening Um you know, behind the scenes and legally in terms of uh, options and in terms of who owns, you know, what piece of what and who had the rights to this. And, you know, the stuff that we're kind of learning through that process of interviewing all these guys is like, well, cool. You know, the editor's telling us stuff and the uh, the marketing, the vice president of marketing is telling us stuff. And it's all kind of, we're finding out new stuff, you know, it's great. And out of all those early Marvel adaptations, too, whether it's the Captain America that came out, you know, the two different versions of the TV or, or Spider-Man or the numerous incarnations of the Hulk, uh, you know, or the other guest appearances of like Thor, Daredevil, you know, Fury and all that stuff. Like I found this one was the most fun <laughs> to, 
to watch, but I mean, maybe that's just because that was one of my favorite books when I was a kid. But I, I, I mean, yeah. I really like the film. Uh, I think so, because um, with the exception of maybe the, the, the Salinger, Captain America, there hadn't been a Marvel movie uh, that was anything like Batman, which came you know, in 89, and Batman Returns, which happened in 92. Marvel was starting to get very antsy and started to recognize the value in their property, and so did others, and so did other entities. And you know, when somebody has something like Fantastic Four and they see worldwide grosses on, you know, the two Batman movies, like a billion dollars. They're like, oh man, we got to exploit this stuff. Our guest today on the show has been Marty Langford. Marty, before we let you go, um, maybe just let people know who uh, who are maybe hearing about this for the first time or, you know, they kind of piqued their excitement. Uh, we mentioned the website. It's doomedthemovie.com. You can find lots of stuff on there. Um, maybe tell them a little bit about the content they can buy on the website would be great. And maybe just drop the Facebook and Twitter Twitter and all that stuff. Sure, yeah, yeah. We're Doomed FF. Uh, you know, the word Doomed followed by the letters FF. It's our Twitter handle. It's, um, you know, our Facebook page. Uh, so you can find us there and friend us or like us or follow us. That would be great. Uh, and, yeah, on the store we have, we're pre-ordering, uh, you know, uh, orders for the movie, which, uh, you know, we hope to have in late spring completed by, but a pre-order would really help out a lot in terms of us. Um, uh, getting some of that money in, and as well as kind of securing a copy, because you know, we really yeah, there's there's all kinds of distribution possibilities down the road. We don't know how long it'll be available for. Um, so that would be cool. Pre-order insurance one, and then yeah, we've got signed posters by the cast, the director, um, and other crew members. Um, we've got regular one sheets of the original Fantastic Four poster. Um, you know, mint. Well, I always hesitate to say mint because I'm a comic guy. So uh, you know, very fine to uh, near mint condition posters. Um, We've written uh, an ebook um, that we're going to be publishing soon. It's a making of this whole thing. And, uh, you know, a bunch of other stuff, too. So, yeah, go to the store and buy stuff. Your good friends at the Edmonton International Film Festival are very proud to bring you the Oscar nominated live and animated shorts to the big screen. That's right, the EIFF has asked and they have received the live and animated shorts, and they're bringing them to you on Wednesday, February 26th and Thursday, February 27th. So it's two only two dates that you actually get to check out both features of the entire nominated films for each category. I think short film obviously is very important to the, to the industry because um, it allows people to sort of practice their art. This is an incredible opportunity to be able to see these films before the actual ceremony. So you want to make sure you take advantage of this. Um, whether you are a perverse fan of a short film and you just can't get enough of it, or maybe if you're looking to get a leg up in your Oscar pool, this is the way to do it. Tell me why I do stand in work. Well, look, my agent's head. It's the theatrical release for the Oscar-nominated animated short films and they need bags of meat to line up the cameras on. So just one, two. Yep, one, two. If you want to know more information, go to edmontonfilmfest.com and there's a fantastic article in this week's edition of View Magazine, so check that out online if you'd like as well. We know what it's like to lose at the Oscars, and now we know what it's like to win at the Oscars, and I have to say winning is, is, is a fantastic it's a feeling. Time. It's a lot better time. <laughs>
All right, that about wraps up this edition of Moving Radio. Once again, I want to thank my guest, Jermaine Lucier, and uh, check out his stuff on SlashFilm.com. He's a fantastic writer. As well, Marty Langford. We want to give him some love from Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's The Fantastic Four. Make sure you go and pre-order that DVD or Blu-ray and uh, get that for yourself sometime in the near, near future. As well, once again, on February 26th, that's Wednesday and Thursday, February 27th, you can check out the animated and live-action shorts at Landmark Cinemas. That's right, it's downtown, and it's all brought to you thanks to the Edmonton International Film Festival. So make sure you go see those, uh, get informed on your Oscar picks, and support the Edmonton International Film Festival. Once again, if you want to know more about this show, uh, you can hook yourself up on my Twitter feed. It's at Moving Radio and just about movies in general. As well, you can check me out on Instagram where there's some movie stuff on that as well, and that's at Moving Radio. But more importantly, if you want old episodes of this program or maybe you're listening to it already on it, it's at iTunes and also on SoundCloud. All you need to do is put in the keyword Moving Radio. Be coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, is the finest in feminist radio. That's right. It's Adam and Eve. Yes, this is real music. Dark, brooding, important, groundbreaking. Check out the lyrics. Darkness. No. More darkness, get it? The opposite of light Black hole Curtains drawn In the basement Middle of the night Blacked out windows Other places that are dark Black suit Black coffee You get it, that's just the first verse Better.